Bible, please raise your hand. We'll be glad to get you one. If you're visiting with us, um, we typically go verse by verse through the scriptures, although I, I have to say that uh, next Sunday and the Sunday after, as we're moving, uh, next Sunday's our last Sunday here. Isn't that hard to believe? Next Sunday's our last Sunday here. And so I'll be sharing a brief uh, message next Sunday about kind of preparing for crossing into where God is taking us next. And so uh, Joshua, before the children of Israel went into the promised land, the Lord told him to sanctify himself and the people. And so we'll talk about what it means to sanctify for the next work. Not only the Lord can sanctify us, but we have to present ourselves. So we'll look at that. And then when we move in October the 4th, I'll be doing another message uh, uh, out of the book of Exodus, uh, really related to what does the Lord want to do in the space he's given us. It uh, wasn't something we were seeking, wasn't something we were striving for, but it was something the Lord has given. And so we'll, uh, we'll take two Sundays out of Luke, next Sunday and the Sunday after, as I'll be doing a topical back-to-back week uh, related to God preparing us uh, for this next work. Uh, but if you're visiting with us, we are in the book of Luke uh, right now in our verse-by-verse study on Sunday mornings. We're on Ezekiel on Wednesdays. Uh, And so if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 17, just raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. We'll be picking up uh, with verses 5 through 10. uh, Verses 5 through 10, Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will will we not say rather to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till you have eaten and drunk, and afterward will you eat and drink? Does he think that that servant, because he did these things, that were commanded him, because he think does he thank, sorry, does he thank that servant because he did these things that were commanded him? I think not. You ever wondered who coined that phrase? I think not. There you go, right there. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, for the pure milk of your word. We thank you for the truth and the light and the necessity of it. And we pray, Lord, that you would take the truth of your word and you would open our minds and our hearts. You'd plant it deep within. And Lord, that we would see exactly what it is you're saying to us. We'd see it, we'd hear it, and we'd obey it for our growth and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone in here, would anyone here like to have more faith? The apostles, increase our faith. Desiring more faith. Now, you can teach this text from a number of different ways. There's a lot here. You can come from this from a lot of different angles. Matter of fact, in my Bible, my notes, uh, I actually highlighted this same passage back 
on 10-10-2013, so not that long ago, a couple of years ago, and, and it was one of those times where I was feeling sorry for myself. You ever been there? I was bemoaning all that I'm doing for the Lord, just me and myself, feeling sorry for myself, and then I read this passage, and it really wasn't about faith at that moment, it was really the first 10 that spoke to me, so when you've done all the things which you're commanded, just simply say, you're an unprofitable servant, we've just done our duty. And the Lord was saying to me, there's not a single thing that you've done that's any va- all that valuable. And that God actually needs your help or my help, and that all that we've done, remember the apostles at one time were feeling sorry for themselves, and Jesus said, there's no one that's left houses or lands or anyone else that the Father isn't giving back a hundredfold. And so you could teach it from that angle. You could look at the fact that Jesus is saying here, and we'll look at that briefly uh, near the end because there is some uh, relation here to what he's saying. As a matter of fact, uh, they're asking about faith, and he starts teaching what they might first hear is like, didn't we just ask a question about faith? What is it that Jesus is saying? There's a lot of depth here, but we'll take this morning uh, to really look at it from not just the duty that he's speaking of, but really, he's answering their question about faith. If you're taking notes, I've titled uh, our time in God's Word this morning, Faith Building Faith. Kind of seems um, repetitive, doesn't it? Faith Building Faith. You want faith? You've got to have some faith. Do you want more faith? You have to have some faith. Because they're saying increase our faith. Something's already present, isn't it? Increase it. Take it to a different level. Now, I, want, I know why they're asking this question. If you've been with us in the study, you know that uh, the verses just preceding this are pretty hard things to do. He has just sent, uh, said, if you're with us last week, if your brother sins against you uh, and repents, forgive him. If he sins seven times, this is really hard to do, forgive people that are sinning against you constantly, isn't it? You need a lot of faith to be able to do these things. How about uh, to not trust uh, in riches? He's talked about that. Many people put their trust in riches. God says, no, don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust and faith in me. And so he's speaking of things that require faith. They require a belief that God is able to help us do these things, to go beyond ourselves, because really there's nothing good in ourselves. And so we're going to look at three things this morning uh, from this faith-building faith uh, that I believe God can use to help us understand and apply and walk in exactly what Jesus is speaking of. Three things. One is a good desire, which is what they've asked for here, a good desire. Uh, The second is a small measure. Faith starts with a very small measure, a small measure. And the third is a proper application. There has to be a proper proper application. Uh, You have to, when you read the Word of God, you have to know what it says correctly, and you have to then apply what it says in your life. A good desire, small measure, and a proper application. Uh, This good desire, it's right there in verse 5. Lord, increase our faith. Now, when God hears something like this, He doesn't look at us and say, "Uh, that's not the kind of stuff that I want to see in your life. They didn't say, Lord, increase our bank account. Lord, increase our good looks. I don't have this problem. I'm right where I'm just kidding. Right where I need to be. Humility, yes, that's an important thing. 
But more faith is a really good desire, isn't it? That's a good desire. That's a godly desire. Any of you pray for spiritual gifts in your life? Those are good desires. The gift of faith is actually one of the spiritual gifts, but doesn't mean that no one should have, all of us should have faith, but you can actually grow immeasurably beyond whatever your faith is today. But we can pray for so many things. More love. There can never be more, there can never be such thing as too much love in us or in the body of Christ. More boldness. More sincerity. More humility more kindness, all of these things. We're praying for those things. Those are the kind of prayers that God says, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Remember when the Bible says, you have not because, Jesus said this actually, you have not because you ask not. It's asking for the right things. It's asking when your heart becomes like the Lord, your heart and mind are connected. When the heart and mind become like the Lord, we ask God for godly things. We don't ask God for foolish things. Now we will when we're in the flesh. James talks about that. Asking amiss, James says, you ask amiss because you want to spend whatever it is on your pleasures. We often ask just for our own pleasures, but those aren't godly requests, and they're not spirit-led requests, those are just fleshly requests. As a person grows in the Lord, their requests will become godly requests. And these are the apostles, and the apostles have said, Lord, we've heard all your teaching lately, and we've come to one conclusion, we need a lot more faith to pull this off. And that's a valid conclusion, isn't it? It's a hard thing to walk the Christian life. We need more faith. I want to look at uh, five keys to seeing godly character formed in your life. If you're taking notes, five things uh, under this good desire. Five keys to seeing godly character formed in our life. We can't form it. The Holy Spirit forms it. But we have to be an open vessel to receive it. Does that make sense? You know? The, the water pitcher you have at home didn't make itself. Someone made it, but we have to let, put it in place to actually have the water fill it up. And so we need to have uh, the right position uh, to receive, uh, receive this godly character formed in our life. The first is through what they do here in verse 5, asking. Asking. God wants us to ask. And most of us, we're not bothered when our kids ask us things that we say, that's a good question. That's a good request. That's a good desire. I'm glad you're, we're glad when there's communication and relationship, aren't we? Well, God is too, that we actually would come and say, Lord, I've seen a great deficiency in me, and it's called faith. I need more faith. To pray this prayer and to make this request, there first has to be the presence of faith in Christ. That makes sense? This actually is a saved prayer. Once you're saved, you had to have, God gives enough light. The Bible says that God has given light to every man. Enough light has already been given for anyone on planet earth to say yes to Jesus. Now you can get into the whole theological debate uh, with, is, did God grab them and they had no choice in the matter and they were saved and they're the frozen chosen? Or did God give a free will and they were able to say yes to the light they were given. Well, to both those answers is yes. I'll never understand the sovereignty of God, but I do understand to some degree the free will of God because we see it all the way back in, in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Free will was given to Adam and Eve, then to Cain and Abel. Free will is given. So, but enough light has to be given. Enough truth has to be given. So God gives enough truth to say, here's the truth. Do not eat of this tree. Is that a truth? Yeah, God said, do not eat of this tree. Now you can say... 
I don't believe that truth. I will eat of this tree. And then, of course, we all suffer the consequences of that. But enough light has been given for anyone to say yes to Christ. Well, that's called saving faith, right? Saving faith. That's how we came to Christ. Now, once saving faith is there, then that saving faith will then grow in our life. But even though God desires it to grow, He wants us to ask for it. And they do. Increase our faith. Romans 1.5 says, Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. We've received enough faith to then be obedient to the faith through Him. Because you can't even be uh, faithful without the help of the Lord. Now this question, again, has to be asked by someone who's already come to saving faith. So if you're here and you've never been born again, uh, you, you know, an unsaved person can ask God all they want, increase my faith. That prayer is not going to get answered except for one prayer, enough faith to receive Jesus. Then other faith can be added. Does that make sense? You have to walk through the first door of faith in Christ before there will be an increase in faith. This is for the, the apostles we know are saved men. These are men that have already uh, come to the Lord. So this increase our faith tells us that the measure of faith has already been implanted in them. There's already the seed of faith there. And they've exercised that faith. If they say increase our faith, they've already exercised their faith. I would say the apostles have done these things. Jesus sent them out. Hey, when you go into these towns and you preach to people, if they don't receive you, dust off your feet. That takes a lot of faith to do that. You ever done any kind of outreach? I don't care if you've done it a million times. It takes faith all new over again because you feel like no one's going to listen to me. My heart's beating out of my chest. They're going to think I'm a wacko. They've exercised some faith, but they need more faith, and it's related to different things. It's loving more, forgiving their brother. Some people can actually go street witnessing but have a hard time forgiving someone because faith is not an isolated area. It's all-encompassing the Christian life. Matthew 25, 29, for everyone to, who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. So those that have already received the implanted faith of salvation, God will be increasing that faith, but we have to be desiring it, praying for it, and that's what we're looking at this uh, right now, these five keys to having this godly character formed in our life. And now in answer to their request, notice Jesus' response. They say, Lord, increase our faith. Now, they're not praying up into the sky or on their knees like we are. They're actually having a tangible, face-to-face conversation with God Almighty Emmanuel. Jesus is standing in their presence. But this is a prayer, but it's also a conversation, right? Lord, increase our faith. They're standing right there. Notice Jesus' response. He does not say, no, I will not increase your faith. You have all that you need. He actually is acknowledging that their prayer request is a good one. Because he doesn't say, no, I'm not going to give you more faith. He also doesn't say, done, like a genie. You have three wishes. Your first wish is faith, done. You'll never struggle with faith ever again. Faith, out of the way, you'll never have to worry about that one ever again. He doesn't say that either, does he? He doesn't say no, and he doesn't say done, Faith, no problem. From now on, you're moving mulberry bushes by simply saying it. Moving to the sea, and there it goes. He doesn't say that. 
Nor does he say, just follow this really, really easy two-step plan and you're done. He actually seems to not answer their question. At first glance, as they hear his response, they're thinking, and what? They're thinking to each other, what does this have to do with our question? He didn't even mention the word faith here. I mean, after the mulberry part, but. Second uh, thing we want to look at first is asking. They ask, and Jesus begins to answer. The second characteristic here, the second key, is believing. Jesus is going to respond now with some things they need to know and some things we need to know, but they're going to have to believe it, aren't they? They're going to have to believe exactly what he says. Do we believe that through faith, everything, and I mean everything in the Word of God, everything in the Word will teach us how to see fruit, how to see growth, how to see victory, how to see power, how we can see miracles take place in our life. Do we believe that? You heard what Nagma said. She was like, God says, well, why? And she just felt in her spirit. And I so understood what she meant, and hopefully you do too. Why are you feeling so tired and down? That's not for me. Do we believe that? Or are they only words and black and white on our pages? Are they just words? Or do we actually believe them? Believing. Jesus is going to say things that they're going to have to believe. He says one right out of the gate that seems kind of hard to believe. If you say to this tree, move into the sea, the mustard seed of faith, what's he talking about? Do we believe his words? The third one, are receiving. That's one thing to believe what he says. But you have to receive it. What do I mean by that? Because well, you might think, well, they're the same thing, aren't they? Not, not exactly. Have we paid attention to Christ's instructions? Right? So you can actually, someone can give you an instruction, and you believe what they're saying, but you've missed half of what they're saying because you also were distracted and listening to two things at the same time. So what you did hear, you believe, but you didn't hear the full context of it. Aren't we all guilty of that? Every husband in here knows what I'm talking about, right? <coughs> You cannot watch the game and listen to your wife at the same time. It's impossible. The wives know, too. It's the worst time of the year for them, right? So you might believe what you did here, but you didn't hear the whole thing anyway. So you haven't received. And Jesus will say things that we're so distracted, we're not receiving the full amount of what he said. So what we did here, we believe, but we can't really act upon it because we haven't really received the full weight of what he's saying are we aware of what he's asked us to do are we meditating on his truths and his commands folks i am personally in constant and i mean constant review mode when it comes to the bible in my life constant review mode you ever had professors in, or teaching high school say continue to review your notes Continue to review your notes. It'll make taking the test that much easier. They were right. Hardly any of us ever listened, right? And then we wondered why we got a 40 on the exam, right? Review as you go. Review as you go. Continue to review. Uh, reviewing the truth. Remembering the truth. The Holy Spirit reminding us these things we so quickly forget. Things we forget within 15 minutes of hearing them. 
It's called abiding in Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Abiding. You can't abide in something if you're not constantly reviewing it. So you have to believe it. You have to ask for it, believe it, receive it. And then the fourth is applying. And this is where the rubber really hits the road, isn't it? Applying. Are we now doing and applying what we know is true and what we are to do? We've believed that it's true. We've received the application, or we've received uh, the full understanding of it, but are now we applying it in our life? I can believe that sunscreen can help me. The other day I was over at the, in the new church painting a deck. I forgot that the deck was white. When you paint on white and bright sunlight, it's like standing on a Tahitian beach with pure white sand, right? Well, me with my Irish background, my neck was like the color of, uh, you know, an apple, bright red or something like that. If I believe that applying sunscreen will help, that's one thing. But I have to, someone has to give it to me, I have to receive it, and then I actually have to squirt it out and put it on. Just knowing that it works has no value at all, does it? No value. You have to apply it. People say, oh, I don't have enough faith to do that. I don't understand why I can't run a mile. Well, have you ever ran or even walked? No, I usually sit on the couch. <laughs> I have a pretty good reason why you might not be able to advance to that next step. It's because we haven't applied. We haven't put one foot in front of the other. We're still in the gate when God's opened the door and said, walk through. We're still standing on the other side. He's already opened the door, said, walk through. The disciples, they have seen Jesus work. They know they can take these steps, but they still need his help. They still need to ask. They have to believe it. They have to receive it. They have to apply it. And then the fifth one, this is repetitive, ask again. Well, say, I already asked. I already believed it. I already received it. I'm applying it, and I'm still struggling. Ask some more. This goes back to reviewing our notes. Luke chapter 11. Remember Jesus said, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. We already did that, right? But it's a repetitive thing. Nachman talked about that. She, has to recal she said, I have to continue to recalibrate. We all do. That's why God said, six days you'll work, and the seventh day, reconvene with every one of the other brothers and sisters on a day of worship. Why? Because in six days, you can fade. It doesn't take six days. It can take six minutes. We have to keep asking. Lord, I need more help in understanding, more help in overcoming, more depth of understanding. A good desire. God wants us to take the good desire and apply these truths, asking for it, believing, receiving, applying, and asking some more. I keep asking God for things that he's already done in my life, but I know that the full measure of what he wants to do is far more than I've seen so far. Does that make sense? I know there's far more he's doing, and I know whatever he's done so far has all been him, but I keep asking anyway because he wants me to thirst for it. Next thing, a small measure. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and we all know that as an herb a tree, mustard seeds are very tiny. We can do a whole study on that, but we're not. You can say to the mulberry tree, pulled up by its roots, planted the seed, and it would obey you. And Jesus has given an illustration. This is not saying that uh, I want you to kind of have the faith that you start moving cars around and you know, start... Uh, plop this house over here, and matter of fact, uh, move this around. It, he's talking about 
moving obstacles in our life that the Lord himself will do the work when our faith grows. But all faith starts small. He says, if you have faith, if you have faith, he's going back to the assumption that there's been implanted faith. If you have faith, if you've been saved, you have some amount of faith, but I can guarantee for everyone in this room, it all needs to grow. All of our faith needs to grow. It's still in the Bible and God still has us read it again. It needs to grow. Again, if you're not saved, you need that initial planning of faith. And I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord, that you have that first. And you could start to see the rest of the faith grow. But God will help it to grow as we abide in Him. But it's going to start small. And faith is different. Kind of the, the measure of faith is different in different people. Would you agree with that? Faith is going to be different in different people. And even in different areas. Romans 14.1 says, Receive one who is weak in the faith. Now, when I see people that I, I believe are saved, but their faith is weak, I am not to look at them and say, look at this low-faith person over here. Someday they should get to our level. No, you're to receive them humbly and gently, and you care because you want them to grow in their faith. And you know that their weak faith, if it doesn't grow, could have a profound negative effect on people in their life. Maybe their spouse, maybe their children, people in their life. So we want their faith to grow. And not only do we want their faith to grow because of the external impact, we want it to grow because we know God wants their faith to grow. But we do understand that some people are still weak in faith. And I don't sit there and say, you're very weak in faith. I just try and encourage them. Try and strengthen them. I'm weak in plenty of my areas of faith. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all are. But it's going to be different in different people. We're to help others mature in faith. But we have to understand how and where we can help encourage them. And you can't have that unless you're walking with the Lord yourself. You can't help one person unless the Lord is helping you, giving you insight, and giving you wisdom. Now, as a pastor, this is a primary role for me. As I grow in faith, I'm supposed to help other people grow in faith. Some of you... Maybe some of the young people in our church, maybe pastors someday, maybe evangelists, maybe missionaries, to help them grow in their faith, or at least to be godly parents and have godly marriages and, and go on and impact the world for Christ. We're to help each other. It's a primary role of mine. But all of us are to receive those that are weaker in faith. And when we do, our own faith grows in the process, doesn't it? It's amazing. As you're helping other people, you're usually helping yourself. Didn't even realize it. I've met young believers with incredible go-anywhere, do-anything faith, brand-new believers that will take on the world. And I've met others that look like, you ever seen a newborn colt, the legs? It looks like that thing's going down any second, right? You're on. how in the world is that new colt or a new deer or a new calf standing up and the, the legs look like they're literally jello? And doesn't go down. Why? Because if it's implanted faith, God won't let them fall. Not, not the kind of eternal fall. But they might stumble a little bit here and there, but it looks like that kind of faith. And I've seen people that are new in the faith that they're, they're unsure of everything, but yet they love the Lord. But even the, understand, even the outward appearance of faith doesn't tell the whole story, does it? We need to be real careful how we assess people's faith. 
Outward appearance doesn't tell the whole story. I've learned this over a, a lifetime of realizing that some people that I thought were weak in faith were actually much stronger in faith than I realized because God fully knows that some people are weak in faith in some areas, but very strong in other areas, and other people are their complete reverse. Some people have the faith to forgive easily, but are petrified of witnessing. Other people have no problem witnessing, but they don't have the faith to forgive. And Jesus speaks of both, doesn't he? The apostles are actually, they're to actually do all those kind of things. They have to go witness, they have to plant churches, they have to forgive people, and they were actually okay with some of the other stuff. The personal stuff is sometimes harder for some people. Faith is different in different people, but everyone needs an increase of it. And only God knows the areas that people are weak or stronger, but it's our job just to simply share the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will minister what each person needs. In this congregation, right now this morning, some of you will hear a completely different message than someone else. I'll teach the same message, and like people will say something like, I don't even remember saying that. What are you talking about? You know. But even um, regardless, regardless of the strength of our faith, it's going to start small, from God's perspective. When God looks at our faith, when Jesus looks at our faith, he knows it's small, doesn't he? That's what he's saying. Even if it's as small as a mustard seed, and from God's perspective, who has no issues with faith, right? He knows everything. Jesus looks at our faith, and he knows it's small. It's going to start small. He indicates that even the great and tremendous works are done by relatively tiny, thin faith. That's what he's saying. He goes, this mighty move of telling a tree to move into the sea is done by something no bigger than a mustard seed. So he's saying, even though it's small, it'll be powerful. We can't see the Holy Spirit, but he's here in this room, amen? The still, small voice of the God, God the world can't hear, but we hear it. <laughs> Pastor Chuck said what, uh, what Jesus is conveying here is that it isn't so much the quantity of faith we need, it's the quality of faith. Faith alive with potential. Faith alive with potential. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith alive with potential? Alive, vibrant, growing. Well, let's look at the last thing this morning, what the Lord wants to do with our faith, and that requires a proper application. A proper application. And then Jesus begins to, to, to share in verses 7 and 8, And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he has come from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself, and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you'll eat and drink? So Jesus said, all right, which of you, if you had, you know, in, in their culture they understood servants well, there were servants everywhere. He said, if you have servants and your servant is paid and they've been working in the field all day, they've been tending the sheep and they've been plowing and whatever it is that they've been tasked to do, when it's time to actually come in and eat, if the master hasn't eaten yet, guess what the servants will do first? He goes, you know the culture, you know the way it is here under the Roman Empire, you know the way it is in the Jewish homes. In that culture, the servants would prepare food for the master. Once the master had eaten, then they would eat. Well, who is our master? Jesus. He says, you will put my needs before your needs. Now, Jesus doesn't need anything from us. This is the interesting thing, right? There's not a single thing he needs from us. 
What he's asked us to do is for our growth, but he simply still says, you will serve the master's needs first, and then you'll eat and drink. We'll come back to that point because he's making a a strong uh, point that we need to really understand in our own walk. Uh, When we properly apply what we've been appropriately given and been instructed in, we will see God work in our life when we properly apply it. But again, we have to first, uh, going back to uh, our five keys, we have to first be properly instructed. Uh, if, if you have children or you have uh, employees that work for you, let's say it's at work, and you're rolling out a new process, you have to properly instruct them on the new process, correct? If nobody follows it because you didn't instruct it, you really can't blame them, correct? You can't say, now, why did none of you do this? Well, because you never told us to do that. Now, we don't have that excuse with Jesus. We can't say, well, you never told us what to do. He has told us what to do. We have to receive that instruction, and we have to then apply it in our life. You know Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I am so thankful. I was just, uh, matter of fact, later today, I, I have a meeting with um, some of the uh, deacons and elders. I am so thankful as a pastor that I don't have to make stuff up. I just simply have to follow God's manual here. It is so relieving to me. It's like laying on a hammock with a breeze to know that I don't have to figure out how do we do church? How do we organize things? How do we make a structure? How do we prioritize I simply have to follow Jesus's. You know, I'm not really good at, at uh, structural things, but if you give me a set of directions, I can usually follow them pretty well. And a lot of times, you ever been putting something together and you start to follow the instructions and you think there's no way this is going to work? You'll get these parts, that, uh, you open up for Christmas, and it says, here's A part, B part, there's like 40 C parts, there's like 3 D parts or whatever, and you start to put it together, and at first it looks like there's no way these angles are going to fit, and amazingly they end up fitting. You ever done that? Because the instructions actually work. And so God says through his son Jesus, if you follow these things, they actually will work. You want an increase in faith? Here's how it's going to work. Because so far they're still thinking, we did ask about an increase of faith, but he's talking about serving and plowing and tending and all that stuff and it's just our duty and what's he mean? Well, we have to know what to do. We have to know what to do and then we have to humbly and obediently do it. Know what to do, how to do it, and then do it. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, we have adopted the convenient theory that the Bible is a book to be explained but it is first a book to be believed and then obeyed. He had a way with words, didn't he? I love he called it a convenient theory. They have a convenient theory that the Bible is a book to be explained. Now it is to be explained. That's one of my jobs as a pastor is to explain and teach the word. But it's not just to be explained. You can explain it all day long. People have to believe it and apply it. You and I can know, we can know that proper rest that eating right, that limited sugar, that plenty of water, that consistent exercise, that a deep uh, devotional life and prayer life, these things will contribute to health and well-being. We can know that's true. Would anyone disagree with that? That 
I mean, the medical science validates the one part, and we know that the spiritual in the Bible is, is verified by the Word of God. So we know that these things contribute. Read Proverbs. Those things contribute to healthy living. Matter of fact, I was, I was having coffee with a pastor recently, uh, and he said, he goes, you want to know the, you, he goes, you know what I tell kids what the fountain of youth is? I said, what? He goes, I tell them, honor your father and mother that your days on the earth will be long. I know that passage, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had, I had forgotten that is true. He's about 10 years older than me. He lives on the West Coast, and he said, I tell kids that all the time. Honor your father. You want a long life? Honor your parents. Wow, they, don't, they should put that one in the uh, PSAs on TV, right? Dear kids, would you like to live a long life? Honor your father and mother, and you'll live a long life. That comes before drugs and sugar and all the other stuff, right? Because actually when you follow those things, amazingly the other things will make more sense, won't they? Interesting how that works. God kind of lines it all up. We have to know what to do. It does us no good if we don't follow what we know to be true. The longer I'm saved, the more amazed I am at how God uses Small, sometimes invisible, follow me on this, small, sometimes invisible, seemingly unrelated things, seemingly unrelated, seemingly unrelated things to bless and bring about fruit and growth in my own life. How about yours? Small, invisible, seemingly unrelated, but they're not unrelated. They're seemingly unrelated. It's a big disconnect with people who have never really been discipled. Trusting and obeying God in the smallest things produces big, big, big results. We have to walk in the basic commands of the Lord and have to be in continuous fellowship with the Lord to hear His still small voice. People say, I never hear from God. Well, you're following, are you listening to the, are you doing the basics that He's already asked you to do? Well, not really. Then that's why you don't hear a still small voice. That's why you don't have things you receive in your spirit. That's why you don't feel led to pick up the phone and call someone and they answer the phone and say, I needed you to call right now. How did you know that? I didn't know that. I was just reading, and all of a sudden your name popped into my head. About 18 months ago, I got an invite from a couple other of the Calvary Chapel pastors here in, in Virginia to meet once a quarter uh, and just to pray and encourage one another. And, uh, Pastor Jeff Schlenz up at DC Metro, he, he kind of put it together. And, and the first one I went to, uh, oh, let me step back. Before, before I even went, uh, even though it's only once a quarter, I wear a lot of hats in this ministry. I wear a lot of hats in life as a father, a dad, a pastor, all these things. You wear a lot of hats too. But again, for me, uh, you know, just stepping out of the business world to be a full time pastor, it was really, I, I struggled with could I even make the time for it? But, and some of the meetings are one to two hours away, and even though it's like only four times, a, you know, four times a year, there's so many other things competing for time. But I, but I knew these things. Here's a couple things that I just knew, that scriptures that bounced right into my head. I knew God loves brothers in unity. True or false? I knew he loves prayer. Okay? I know he loves iron sharpening iron. I know he loves encouraging and be, being built up. There's scriptural references to all those things. So 
the enemy didn't put those thoughts in my head. Immediately I thought, well, that, those all make sense, so maybe I should just do it. So I sensed in my spirit that although I was already doing those same things with brothers and sisters right here in Richmond, God still wanted me to go and venture out four times a year, meet with these other guys. And the first time I went up, uh, it was in Fredericksburg, and there was only four of us. Uh, now when we meet, there's about 10 to 15. But God just put on my heart, make it a priority. Make it a priority. Guard the time. And I remember telling uh, Jeff when we first got together, this was 18 months ago, I said, I said, I don't know why. I said, just kind of, I feel like after we had met a couple times, the Lord put in my spirit that God's going to bless all of our ministries because we're gathering together, and I have no sense why. Because we're not covering any new ground. We haven't taught each other anything new. We've simply done the same things that we already do, and then it was, uh, it was just last month when we were driving up, we got the pastors and their wives together, and we were driving up, and the verse that dropped into my mind was, forsake not the assemblies of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, but even more so as you see the day approaching. Now, I've always applied that verse to the body of Christ, but the Lord actually put on my heart, it's even true that pastoral leaders can't forsake getting together either. You know the apostles used to get together in Jerusalem? You know that leader, Christian leaders used to gather together for special times of prayer and fasting and things like that? And I, it, the Lord just, I had forgotten, but the Holy Spirit said, they were seemingly unrelated things, but in the spiritual world, they were all related. And these scriptural truths, you know, when we start by just following the things that God said to do, he'll then add layer upon layer of saying, all right, now do this. Now go here. Now do this. And later, God reveals to us in hindsight what he was doing, right? We look back and say, how did that all happen? It's the Lord. I hope you're seeing this in your own life. In a room this size, in a room this size, there are probably some here whose faith is less now than it was five years ago. Probably someone in here has less faith now than they had five. Maybe someone here has less faith than they had five months ago. Now, God doesn't want that. He wants to increase our faith. True? He doesn't want us to have less faith. And why would this be? Why, why would someone have less? Well, we stopped exercising faith as a servant of Christ. This is what Jesus is getting at. For many, the busyness of life has sucked the service of Christ right out of them. Did you hear me? For many, the busyness of life has sucked the service of Christ right out of their spiritual walk. And Jesus said, this can't be. My servants will be tending sheep, plowing in the fields, and serving me. They're no longer tending to the instructions of Christ. They're no longer tending to the needs of others. They're tending to themselves. Which is, Jesus said, you'll never grow in faith tending to yourself. That's what he's, do you see how Jesus is answering their question? Jesus would answer questions in the most profound ways. People would be like, how is this an answer to the question? And then later, light bulbs are exploding in their heads Say, now I get it. He was simply saying, when we serve him, our faith will grow. F.B. Meyer said, the only hope of decreasing self is increasing Christ. The only hope of decreasing self is increasing Christ. Go back to his commands on our life. We humble ourselves, do his will. Our faith and power will grow accordingly. Notice how he instructs the disciples in growing their faith. The key to great faith is what Jesus is answering here. The key to great faith is faithful, humble, Service the Lord 
And he says it in verse 7, plowing. Which of you having plowed or tending sheep? Now notice these things are not said accidentally. Jesus never says anything accidentally. Everything is measured to the letter. Every jot, every tittle, right? Everything. Plowing and tending. The body of Christ is to be plowing in the fields until he returns and tending the needs of other people and unsaved people. He says, that's what the servant, if, you're, if you find that your life is not plowing and tending, if you, if you look at your life and say, I can't, I don't know where I plow or tend, then something's amiss, and your faith will be weak. Jesus said in John 21, 27, do you love me? He's talking to Peter. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Some will say, well, that's for Peter, and that's just for pastors. That's for apostle dudes, you know, those kind of guys. Is it? Is he only speaking to Peter? Or is he speaking to every single person who opens up a Bible? I think he's speaking to everybody. Now, I have, certainly from a vocation and a full-time calling, I have a greater responsibility, but everyone is called to feed and tend and plow in the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done is for all of us. The growth is impossible. Uh, you know, everyone's called to tend and plow, but it's impossible to grow in faith without doing these things. You can't, there's no workaround to this. We all understand that. Jesus said there's no shortcut here. There's no take two pills and faith is in the morning. He said this is the way. You want to increase in faith? You've done the right thing. You've asked me for it. You've believed me for it. Now you're going to apply it. Go back and plow and serve and watch the faith grow in your life. There's a real risk here. You can plow and serve and not come back and serve. Verse 7 and verse 8 have a delineation. You can be plowing and serving and never sit down and serve Jesus. Notice that? People do that a lot of times. They, oh, they're busy with the work of God, but they have no spiritual walk with God. They have no personal prayer life, no devotions, but they're involved in you know, all the different Christian ministry things, right? Never pray, never in the Word, but boy, they're running ten things of the church behind the back and all the other stuff. That's not good either. He said, if you've plowed and served, then you come serve the Master, and then afterwards, you'll eat. What does he mean by that? See, there's not only the imperative uh, to serve. It's essential to our growth and our faith, but also... Not only is serving essential to our growth and faith, but it's also essential to our own fulfillment. To our own fulfillment. Exactly what Nagma was talking about. The rest comes in the Lord. He then takes and fulfills and gives what we need. The strength we need, the nourishment that we need. Notice that the nourishment comes after the obedience in verse 8. 7 is the plowing and tending. 8 is then the serving the master. After we serve the master, we eat and drink. What is Jesus saying? The imperative here is that the nourishment comes after the obedience. Many in the body of Christ, they are still thirsty, 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 hungry, 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 stressed, anxious, wilting, because they're not been fulfilled. They haven't ate at the feet and the table of Jesus. Why? They didn't serve and plow. They didn't put Christ first. And they're still unfulfilled. And they think they're going to find fulfillment with a bunch of other things. This promotion is going to finally fulfill. 
NFL direct tickets going to do it. No, that'll just give you stress, I'm telling you. <laughs> this over here will bring fulfillment. If I only got that new car, right? Each of these things, that's the way the world thinks. It's exactly the way the world thinks. Jesus said in John 4, 32, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It's ours too, isn't it? That's our food. We'll never be fulfilled having a little bit of Sunday service, a little sprinkling of Wednesday, five-minute Devo when we can fit it in, and expect our faith to grow. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. He said, that will not work. You guys ask the question, increase our faith, I'm giving you the answer. I love that Jesus gives us the answer, don't you? He didn't like, you know, misdirect directly what we want us to do. And by the way, uh, if those things, a little, sm little smidgen of Sunday, a little smidgen of Wednesday, a little five-minute Devo we can fit it in, and the rest of our lives looks identical to the world, guess what? We're a lot more like the world than we are like the Lord. The picture Christ is laying out is that a powerful faith is granted to surrendered servants. The food and nourishment of the Spirit is given by His grace when we're walking in obedience. Are we asking and believing God for big things in our life? We will when we're in relationship and serving Him. The, the, the person that walks with the Lord and serves the Lord asks the Lord for really big things and really believes that God can heal so-and-so and really believes that so-and-so can actually get out of financial debt and really believes that these things and that marriage can be saved and that person can be saved. Everyone else says, oh, that'll never happen. Right? But the person walking in the Lord believes these things. And the more they grow in faith, the more things they believe in. They believe in all of Bonaire could be saved. Every single person there. They believe that Richmond could actually see revival. But you have to want revival in your own life first, don't you? Before you'd want it for someone else. Are we asking God for big things in our life? We will if we're walking as servants and working in his vineyard. Working in his vineyard. Coming back to serve him. Saying prayers like, God, I believe you'll help me to witness to this person. I believe you'll help me to witness this person. I believe you'll help me to no longer worry about this. I have certain things that I still get worried and stressed about. Is there anyone else that can agree with me on that? Okay. There are things that I still worry about and stress about, which I know is part of my weak flesh, which I know is actually somewhat related to sin even. I'm, and, I, and yet I believe God will deliver me from every one of them. So I just keep praying it. And some of them just drop off and I forgot when they dropped off. You ever had that? You're like, why am I not worried about this anymore? Because I was just working in the vineyard. And all of a sudden God says, that one's gone. That one's gone. That one's gone. I still got the, the final list of five or whatever it is. And it whittles it down, increasing faith along the way. Are we asking? Are we believing? Are we receiving? Are we applying? Are we asking again? After we've done all that Jesus has asked, we're humbled that he's even received us. He closes this by saying, it's just your duty. It's just your duty. It's your duty to believe everything I said and just do it. Just go apply it. Nike says just do it. Jesus said it long before Nike. It's... As Romans 12, 1 says, it's just our reasonable service. We whine and complain, and Jesus said, look, I'll give you more faith. 
I'll nourish you. I'll give you the food you're asking for. You'll eat at the feast, but not until you serve me first. We can't get the carts turned around, can we? The, the old cart for the horse thing, we have to do it in this progression, and he will bless it. I've seen him bless people's lives. I've seen him bless in my own, and I know that he will keep exactly every promise he's given. He's done all the work. We simply say, Lord, this was our duty to do. But not only is it our duty, he blesses us with it. I mean, most servants, you know, if you're a slave to a, a, a master that was kind of cruel, you don't get much out of the deal. But Jesus says, you, it's your duty, and I'll bless you in the process. He's asked us to take the little faith he's given us, act on it, and just like the fish in the loaves, it'll multiply, won't it? I'll close with Jude 1, verse 20 and 21. Beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude says, you just keep building up your faith by working and serving the Lord, and your faith will grow. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you promised to grow our faith. But Lord, we need to We need to hear exactly what you're saying, and we need to receive it, and we need to walk in it. And Lord, it's my prayer that my brothers and sisters here uh, are encouraged to know that you have every thought of good and care and love for each and every one of us. And you desire to nourish us and feed us more than we want to be nourished and fed. But Lord, we need to know that we have to follow and obey as the song simply, trust and obey, there is no other way to receive an increase in faith. And Lord, I pray that you would increase. I'm asking on behalf of all of us, Lord, that you'd increase our faith. But Lord, we would increase our obedience. And we would just remember, Lord, that we are to be serving you first. And when we serve you first, Lord, you're going to pour out a blessing that we won't even be able to contain. And Lord, collectively, we want to say we're sorry, Father for not being the obedient servants you've called us to be. And Lord, if we felt sorry for ourselves when you said, look, I've done all the work, just your duty to obey, Lord, forgive us. Fill us and use us afresh and anew. In your name we pray.